we've been looking at Moses. We were looking at the two church services, if you remember. We saw the in the wilderness that uh, when the Israelites were in the wilderness that when Moses was up on the mountain and the people were down below and they said, you know, they talked to Aaron, they said, build us up a build us up some idols, build us up some gods that we can worship because we don't know what happened to this man Moses. We see what happened in there, but we see, we, we jump from that as a contrast to Moses, his faith in God, his desire for God's presence and his prayer to God. He said, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. And then we see that not only that, but he went further and he said, let me see your glory. He, he wanted more from God. He wanted more than what he had already given. He, he got assurance from God that his presence would go with them into the promised land because God had gotten upset and he said, you, you'll go, I'll keep my promise, but I'm going to send my angel before you and he's going to clear the way and then you can go into the promised land. And Moses caught the part where God wasn't going with him. And he said, Lord, if, if you don't go, I don't want to go. And then he, he, he went a little further in the prayer. He included the people. Lord, let your presence be with the people. And I'm summarizing. I'm not quoting a verse. But we see Moses' desire to go with God, to not be without God. And so this morning, I just kind of want to step back. Some of y'all, I I know that y'all understand this part where we're going to in Exodus chapter number 2. But it's interested me to to look back and to see Moses and you see a man of great faith. You see a man who always turned to God. You see, you see him even in, his, even in his times of trial. You see him at the Red Sea. You see him facing in the wilderness at the, when they were worshiping the idols. You see him asking to see the God's glory. You see him desiring God's presence in his life. And what made Moses the man that he is, the man that was able to follow God through thick and thin, And you see a great man of God that God was able to use. But what you don't see in those events is you don't see that the man that Moses had to give up. So here in Exodus chapter number 2, we see see Moses in uh, verses 1 through 10. It said, There went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, the daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And we know the story of Moses. We know that they were killing the firstborn. We know that Moses was saved, that he was hid in the bushes. We know that Pharaoh's daughter took him in, and he rose up in power in the house of Pharaoh, or he was, he was in line for it, it seems like. And, and here Moses was in a position, and that's what we're going to look at this morning and look at where he went from there. Let's pray. Amen. I may be a little slow on the takeoff ramp this morning, but y'all ride along with me because Moses was there in a position of power, and he, he was, if anybody could do anything for the Israelites, even though he was the daughter of Pharaoh, he still understood in some way because his, his mother raised him. She taught him. She must have taught him about the promise of God. She must have taught him about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and talked about Joseph. And I'm just kind of reading between the lines here because when When Moses came down, it said he had a burden for his people. When he came down and he saw them struggling under the burden, struggling under the whip of the Egyptians, 
He had a burden for his people, and he felt like he was in a position to do something for them. And it was, it was a burden on his life. And, you know, oftentimes in our own lives, we look around, and I remember when I, when I was first called to preach, and I remember when I surrendered to preach, man, I wanted to do all kinds of things. I said, man, I, there was a, uh, they had Civil War reenactments out there in Georgia. You know, I was, I was had, thinking about, man, I could set up a tent and go out there and preach. You know, I didn't have a church. But, you know, you first get saved, you first surrender to preach, and, man, you, you just think you're ready to take on the world, right? Man, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that. But then something happens in your life. Something kind of knocks you down a peg or two or kind of makes you rethink things. And I think Moses reached this point here because uh, read a little further down with me over there in verse number 11, and we're kind of skipping through, but it says, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burden, and he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. Now, we know what happened here, but we'll read on. In verse number 12, I love the way this is phrased. And it said, and he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, here Moses had a plan. <coughs> he might not have known completely what it was going to be, but he was going to start right here. One of his brethren was being smitten of God. Well, they, were, they were being beaten. For whatever reason, we don't know, but Moses looked this way, and then he looked that way. Nobody was looking, and then he killed the Egyptian and let the other man go free. Moses had thought he had done God a favor. Moses had thought he was, he was, he was carrying out his calling, maybe. He said, well, you're putting a lot on Moses' thoughts. Well, I kind of am because of what, what happens over in the next chapter. But just ride with me down this. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Moses' whole worldview got changed right there because the people that he was trying to help had turned on him. Now, if we were going into types, and I'm not going to go too much into types on this sermon, but you look at that and you see Moses rejected of his people and then he goes away and then God sends him back to deliver the people. We see a type of Jesus Christ in the life of Moses. I'll go as far down that road as that today. But right now, I just want to think about what Moses was thinking when he was there. You know, I, I, it's a weird way to relate it. But, you know, a long time ago when I was in the Navy, and I used to, I really liked shooting pool back in the day. And I would go down to the bowling alley, and, man, you had the full-size tables, you know. I, I wasn't so much a bar pool guy. I just liked the, the, the table. I liked the challenge of it. I would go there and I would rent the table, you know, and I'm playing by myself and I'm trying to do the trick shots and, or, or just trying to do bank shots and all that. And there was a, there was a couple there that, that would hang out and they came and asked, can we, can we play? I'm like, well, sure, I've already paid for the table, you know, may as well. After a while, it got to where I realized I was the one paying for the table each night. But uh, I remember one night he got on her. You know, and I'm like, hey, hey. And then he turned on me. <laughs> and then she turned on me. 
So, you know, I kind of think back to that. I think about Moses. He's there to help them. He's there to deliver them. Don't know how that's going to happen, but Moses is taking the steps, and they both turned on him. And he realizes the thing is known. He realizes the Israelites don't want him because they've turned on him. Pharaoh wants to kill him because they've told him or the word got back to him because of what they said. He doesn't have any dog left in this fight in Egypt. And he goes away. Now, it's only important as far as to understand that opportunity, that standing up to do what he thought he was called to do. And God will put a burden on your life. God will, God, God will give you an idea about what he wants you to do. You know, it, it may be, like I used to think, I would set up the tent at the Civil War thing, you know, and I'd have services or something. Just silly stuff. I don't know what it would be, but God will put a burden on your life, but he wants you to do it his way. And it wasn't through rebellion. It wasn't, it wasn't through what Moses had in mind, but he came to the end of himself. You know, that's not just for the prodigal son. But Moses left, and he goes off, and he ends up on the backside of the desert. Verse 13, now when, Moses, now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And it's there that he meets his future wife, Zipporah, and Moses settles down. He's a stranger in a strange land, but he settles down, and he, all of that wealth that he had, that position that he had, all of that, that's gone. And I think Moses just put all that out of his head. He zeroed it out. You ever lost something? You said, well, I just really didn't have it in the first place. And you just zero it out in your mind and say, that's, that's not, for, that, it wasn't for me. It wasn't meant to be. I thought I was supposed to deliver the people and he realized, well, maybe I'm not because it didn't work out. I can imagine a preacher that takes a church, hey, it happened to me. Out in Pulaski, took a church and up there preaching, but, it, you know, you reach a point where it's like, you know, they need a different pastor. They, they need to, that church had been there 100 years, you know, same four last names in the church for 100 years. I think they need a different pastor. They need one to hatch them, match them, and dispatch them. Amen? And you kind of come to the end of yourself. You, you say, well, maybe that wasn't for me. I got a little discouraged. Y'all know the story. I've told you a hundred times. It's, it's the only one I got. But I came out here. I didn't expect to get a preach again. You know, I thought that was it. I get into a church, King James Church. I ain't going to lie about that. And, uh, but I, I get in there, and I still couldn't preach. The pastor said, you know, he knew I was a preacher. He said, you can, you can get up and preach. I said, I can't. I just can't do it. Took three years before I could finally do it, you know. And then I had to write down every word so that I could preach. Some of y'all wish I still did that. But, uh, but, you know, God has a way of working things when you come to the end of yourself. And here Moses is on the backside of the desert. And let's take a look at this. Verse number 23 is we're going to jump down of chapter number two, says, And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up to God by reason of the bondage. 
They wanted deliverance. They were out there and they were praying, Lord, please stop this, make it stop. And they cry out to God, and God heard their groaning, verse 24, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now we get to chapter number 3, and we see Moses, after 40 years on the backside of the desert, and uh, said, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now you could just read right past that. But that says a lot to me in that verse. It said, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Moses goes from being, being under Pharaoh, being in the family of Pharaoh, being over Egypt, being a part of the leading Egypt, with all of that power and all of that ability that he could have affected a change from the inside. Isn't that what a lot of people like to do? Affect a change from the inside. And it gets down to 40 years on the backside of the desert. And when we get to chapter number three, he doesn't even have his own flock. He's just watching Jethro's. You know, when you come to the end of yourself, it's like the prodigal son. He said, the servants eat better than I do. The prodigal son reaches that point. He looks at the father's house and he says, the servants eat better than I do. It'd be better for me to be living in the servants' quarters than out here in this hog pen. I think for Moses, he just reached a point where I'd be happy taking care of your sheep, talking to his father-in-law, and just he's out there and he's on the backside of the desert taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, not even his own flock. He's just he's he's come to the end of himself, I think. Now this is me thinking, but there's some Bible for this. Let's keep going. He said, uh, kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And this is another one of those types I'm going to throw at you just because it's just us, but that bush is burning and not consumed. That's the type of Israel. Scattered throughout the nations, but never consumed. Burned with fire, burned with trial, taken over by Babylon, taken over by Persia. Any other nation would have dissolved within that other nation. But somehow, the Jewish nation, through all this time, burned with fire, yet not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh thy hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where all now standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. That's why I say I think he, he'd been taught about Isaac about Jacob. He said, I'm that God, the one that you heard about, the one that you know about. And he bows down before holy God. You get in God's presence, you can feel your own shame. So he's in a humble position on the backside of the desert. I have a note here, not everyone turns back to see the burning bush in their lives and Satan gets the victory. There'll be something in your life to make you realize that God's not through with you. 
an opportunity to preach. For him, there's a wake-up call. Something happens in the light of the burning bush. He sees the dirt and filth of the world on him as he turns aside to see this great sight and whatever it may be in his life that God uses. The Holy Spirit will convict you. But when, when Moses gets here on the backside of the desert, and the reason I say that he's come to the end of himself, that God tells him, he says, I'm going to use you to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. He tells him here in uh, verse 7, he said, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, as I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and here comes the call, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses had tried this on his own. It didn't work out so well. So I think Moses gave up on this. Moses reached his point. And in verse number 11, and Moses said unto God, and here it is, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? By this time, keeping the flock at Jethro and out there on the backside of the desert, having given up all ambition that he had, he was now ready for God to use him. See, Moses asked the right question. He said, who am I? Moses didn't say, all right, let's go. I got this. (laughs) Because there's a taking, there's a making, and there's a breaking. God will take a man. He'll call him. God will take a person. I'll leave it open like that. But God will take a person. He'll he'll call him. And they'll try to do things on their own, and they'll get discouraged. It's when you get discouraged that God can use you. It's when you reach that point where you say, it's not me, but it's you, Lord. It's not by my power, but by your might, by your strength, by your spirit that I move forward. It's it's through you, Lord. And he says, he says, who am I? So he doubts his worthiness, and we're going to look at this. Moses said unto him, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. And then here God lays it out. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? So he doubts his calling. He doubts the one that sent him. If I go, who who am I going to say that sent me? And God tells him, he said, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, moreover unto Moses, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And he tells them to gather the elders 
We'll look in chapter number four. He not only doubts his worthiness and doubts his calling, but he doubts his credibility. It says, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. He doesn't think he's going to be credible when he goes up to him. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Now, this is important to remember for another reason, just to throw this out there because it's just us. The Israelites required a sign. Just to keep that in mind, when you hear about signs and wonders in today's world, you know, it's not for us. It's not for the Gentile. The signs were for Israel. The Jew require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom and the Jews require, let's see. All right. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he doubts his credibility and he doubts, he doubts his ability. Look at verse number 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made a man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb or deaf, or the seeing or the blind, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. You know, God gives us something. And, we begin, and when you reach that point where you're doubting yourself and you say, this isn't for me. And I'm not going to lie to y'all. Sometimes that's a weekly thing. Now, some people might agree. But there'll be times and Dee will tell you, or maybe she won't, and say, hey, I don't, I don't know about this. God, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that you called me to this. But you know, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of God. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel you reach a point where you're at the end of yourself and you say, I, you know, I'm not ready for that. But then the equipping comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from your own wisdom. It doesn't come from, from your own ability. Do y'all follow me on this? There's ability, there's what's within you, but it's the Lord that's using you. It's the Lord that brings it out. It's the Lord. When he calls you, he'll equip you. And here he's equipping Moses. And even though Moses has shortcomings, the Lord gives him grace. He gives him provision. He says, I'm going to let Aaron speak for you, but you're still my man. And then he doubts himself, verse 13. And this is where he goes just a step too far. And this is where you can go a step too far. If God's calling you, and this is the part where people become a Jonah. You know, God said, go to Tarshish. And, Moses, and Jonah went this way, and he fled from the Lord. And here in verse 13, and he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him who thou wilt send. That translates in the Lord sent somebody else. And somebody else has got to be for this. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, 
and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. Now shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. And it goes on, and the story continues. But you know, over the last couple of weeks, we see Moses, we see the faith of Moses, we see him staying with the Lord, and it just really struck me when I was studying for that message that Moses refused to go without the presence of God. You know, we, in the beginning, he knew what it was like not to have God's presence. When he was there, all the power was in his hand, the ability. He could have raised up a rebellion. He could have led the people out. He could have rebelled against Pharaoh. I don't know what. But God showed him, no, you can't do anything without me. And we see Moses time and again turning to God. We see Moses turning to the Lord when they got the Egyptian army behind. And that preacher the other night, he said, Red Sea was before him, Egyptian army behind him. (laughs) But God was with him. When he gets to the waters of Mara where everyone's complaining about being thirsty and where they're, they're, they're dying of thirst. You know, and the waters are bitter, and he throws it. He prays to the Lord. The Lord tells him what to do. When they reach the rock in the wilderness, and the Lord tells him what to do. But we see his frailty when he strikes the rock the next time when the Lord tells him to speak to the rock. But all in all of that, in all of that journey, all through the manna, and all through when the people had given up on God, and I'll wear y'all out with this, if God and Moses had gotten mad at the same time, they'd all been dead. But through all of that, he wanted God's presence because he was broken from relying on himself and he trusted the Lord. In our own lives, you know, we know there's a next step. When God shows you something, you get out there and you're in the wilderness and you're walking forward. You got to remember what God told you. And what God tells you is right here. That's what you're hanging on to. We hang on to eternal life because God promises it to us. When we accept Jesus Christ, we're promised eternal life. We have a hope of glory we learned about this morning, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. But without Jesus Christ, if you're trying to get to heaven on your own, if you're trying to work your way there, you're not going to make it. It's through Jesus Christ. If y'all stand with me, y'all going to get to go.